My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. I was, I was thinking of a movie, because that's kind of how my mind works, right? Um, there's an, an author who's passed away now, but my dad used to read these books with titles like The Hunt for Red October and Clear Present Danger. And me being the book nerd that I was, I wanted to read what my dad was reading, so I started reading these really thick spy novels probably a year, a couple years before I probably should have. Uh, but they made them into some movies, with, I think, with Harrison Ford. And there's one scene where he's arguing with somebody about foreign policy. I know it's exciting, but what happens is in the movie, the government sends like these unofficial uh, military units into uh, a foreign country because the military there or some people there have, I don't know, have, they did something bad and, and assaulted some diplomats or whatever. The, the long and short of it is they get into a fight because it's illegal, and with, which ends with Jack Rabbit like, I'm going to expose you in that Harrison Ford gravelly voice that I can't do. And the guy's like, Jack, because his name's Jack Ryan. He's like, the world is gray, Jack. The world is gray. And he stomps off. And that made me think about moral ambiguities and ambiguity in general. And I feel as if our culture has doubled and tripled down on moral ambiguity because we don't like binaries. We're so often told that the world isn't black and white, that the world is actually gray, and then this rubric gets applied to pretty much, pretty much everything, right? So when we hear something like what we heard read from the first epistle, according to St. John, it, it catches our attention. And binaries are very real and, and fairly important, right? Imagine trying to do any sort of computing without binary code. Right, binary code is a method of simplifying various characters and letters and numbers into two symbols. And then you use those two symbols to create code. Or imagine trying to program something and deciding to forego binary code and inserting various characters of your own devising. You'd have absolutely chaos and none of your technology would work. Because there, we pretend that there aren't binaries when they actually do exist because there's an automatic equivocation that binaries are bad and that they're too tidy and that they're boring, or that they're a gross oversimplification of complex realities. They don't reflect the grayscale of how the world actually works. And I'm not saying there isn't any room for ambiguities and questioning and searching, okay? So I just want to make that perfectly clear from the outset. But the reading here from the epistle, according to St. John, makes a very clear, straightforward binary statement. He ended with, Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son does not have life. He doesn't say whoever has the Son has life and whoever does not have the Son kind of, sort of, maybe might not have life. Maybe, I don't know. No, he, he, <laughs> he makes a very clear statement. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever has the Son does not have life. So going back a little bit, in verse 9, he says, If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God 
that he has borne concerning his son. So right away we have this comparison between the testimony of man versus the testimony of God. And this is not a trick question. So let me ask you this, brothers and sisters, and those watching, you can type this in if you want to. Whose testimony do you think is better or greater or more trustworthy, mine or God's? I'm not saying that I'm not trustworthy, because generally speaking, I am. But God, God's is greater, right? Whose testimony... Well, this is probably not a great comparison because this might not go the way I want it. Whose testimony is greater, Cindy's or God's? My God's. God's. We can even say whose testimony is greater, Sean's or God's? We all know the answer to that question. We don't have to think about that. Obviously, God's. The testimony of man versus the testimony of God. God's testimony is more believable. And you might be a super honest, caring person, but as honest as you are, you're not going to be 100% honest. Have you ever embellished a story to make yourself look good or more in control of a situation or to flesh out your part a little bit more? The word testify here is the word where we get the word martyr from. It means to testify or to witness. Now, when it's speaking of to witness, it's not witness strictly in the sense of saying, I saw this. It's more witness in the sense of my actions giving evidence. Which is why those who gave their lives to Christ, for Christ, are called martyrs. Because their act testifies or witnesses to the reality of Jesus Christ and what Christ has done in them and what their deaths for him in demonstrating, is demonstrating through them. But John seems to have a specific testimony in mind here. And we'll ask, well, what is it? So to know what the testimony is, let's rewind a little bit to the first, a couple verses previous. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. So the testimony is the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And you might be thinking, okay, well, that's great. Pastor Mike, that's wonderful. What does that mean? I'm glad you asked. These are references... To Jesus, because you know, he just says so in verse 6, right? So in the life of mi and ministry of Jesus, where do we see water? Well, there's a few places. Uh, and I think, and this is, I think, what St. John has in view here. First, it's speaking of the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River. And Jesus is baptized not because he has any sin of his own, but because it's going to show to those there his divine identity and mission. And it's also the point where the Holy Spirit is going to come upon him in power. But his baptism is also going to do something else. It's going to sanctify or make holy the waters of baptism. Because, brothers and sisters, the waters of baptism is what is the entrance into life in Christ. And that is something that we are going to be doing today. The waters of baptism with, Le uh, with Harbor Lena. Baptizing her into the body and uniting her to Christ and his church. The second thing referenced here is blood. And this is the Lord's passion, his death on the cross. When they see Jesus has died, we know the story, right? What do the soldiers do? They take a spear and they pierce his side and they pull it out. And what flows from, his, from the wounds? Blood and water. 
And Jesus' blood is sanctifying. It is redemptive. And given St. John's referring to the Day of Atonement elsewhere in this same epistle, we need to make sure that this stays in view here as well. And then lastly, the Spirit. So not only blood and water, but also the Spirit. And this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth by Jesus, right? And the Holy Spirit is, of course, God. You heard in the hymn that we just sang a few moments ago, glory, glory to the, all glory, loud and honor to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. All life-giving, consubstantial trinity. The Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And the Holy Spirit is the one doing the testifying. So how does the Spirit testify? Well, we see right in Matthew 3, 16 to 17, Jesus is baptized like we just said. The heavens are opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending on him like a dove. And we know the story, the voice from heaven, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And then we have in the the book of Acts, um, there's a sermon that says, I know they found him, Jesus. They found in him no guilt worthy of death. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And St. Paul picks up on this in Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So the descent of the spirit at the baptism of Jesus and the raising of Jesus from the dead And then the giving of the Spirit as well to the apostles on the day of Pentecost, which we'll commemorate next week, and their subsequent ministers as being testifiers that they're witnesses to Jesus Christ. So all of these testimonies are more sure than anything else because they come directly from God and not from human beings. But for this testimony, God uses human beings to witness, to testify. But the testimony comes from God himself. The 11th century, uh, St. Bede the Venerable wrote this, All three, spirits, blood, and water, are independent of each other, but their testimony is one and the same. Because Christ's divinity is not to be believed apart from his humanity, nor is his humanity to be accepted apart from his divinity. All three are present in us, not in their natural form, but by the union of our souls with Christ. Which again, we're going to be doing now. The Spirit makes us children of God by adoption. The waters of the blessed font cleanses us, and the blood of the Lord redeems us. They are invisible in themselves, but in the sacraments they are made visible for our benefit. So John says that those who do not believe the Son are making God out to be a liar, because they do not believe the testimony of God as laid out by the water and the blood and the Spirit. And you don't want to do that, brothers and sisters. You don't want to be the one on the playground going, you're a liar, God, na 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 I think it's probably worse now. I don't why I'm, I, I sound like I'm, I don't know, 80 years old. Those kids today, they were spent. I don't know. My kids are four in like 10 months, so who knows? I've never heard Silas go, nanny, 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 I don't know. It was an older time, I guess. But you don't want to be the person calling God a liar. Would you call me? This means that every single person who does not accept the testimony from God himself, that Jesus is the truly human, truly divine Son of God, is saying to God, everything you did for me isn't enough. And not only that, I'm not going to accept it or you. And when we do that, brothers and sisters, we are cutting ourselves off from the divine life found only in Christ. 
Because to reject the testimony from God himself means we do not have the Son. And if we do not have the Son, we do not have life. And we will die enslaved to sin, death, and Satan. That's very black and white. That's very black and white. It's a very binary statement. But those who are not in Christ, those who reject Christ, who reject the testimony of God, have no comfort in this life or in the next because they will eternally die under the dominion of darkness. But St. John writes all this to them as an encouragement. He says to them, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That you may know that you have eternal life. If there's any historians in the room, if I get this wrong, please you know, send me a, an email or something later. But I'm not so clued up on my Puritan theology. But in American history, right, you have the Puritans that come, to, uh, that come here to the New World. And um, they were unhappy with some of the things in England, so they, they came over here. And in Puritan theology, I believe that there's something called the marks of election. Has anybody ever heard that? The marks of election. So in Reformed theology, right, Reformed theology talks about those who are elect and those who are not elect. So the elect are those in Reformed theology who God has decreed before the foundation of the world that he has chosen to set his redeeming and saving love on them. And then you have the non-elect, those that God has chosen to not show his redeeming and, and saving love to. Right? And so God in this theology is glorified through their salvation and God is glorified through their damnation. I don't really quite hold with Reformed theology in that sense, but it helps us to understand what I'm about to say. So the marks of the elect would be things that they would do to show that they were elect. Like this is how you can have assurance that you're one of the elect, that if your life looks this way. Right? So, so that could even mean something like having a, success, a, a successful business or something like that, that could be seen as a mark of election because God is really blessing your hard work. So the harder work that you're doing, you know, that's showing you're one of the elect. But that makes me scratch my head because then that make, isn't that works righteousness? Isn't that the very thing that that whole theology is trying to destroy? All that to say, working hard and being successful, looking to something like that or looking to doing these things to, to show the marks of election, I think misses the point because St. John comforts them right here and tells them how to know that they are Christ's, right? Those who believe in the name of the Son of God. Those who believe in the name of the Son of God are the ones who have the assurance that they have eternal life. And to believe in the Son doesn't just mean, we talked about this extensively the past couple of weeks, to believe in the Son doesn't just mean I think these right things in my head about God. I have all of the right theological boxes checked off, and then that means I'm good. Or I, or I went to a revival meeting, and I said the prayer one time, and I'm straight with God, and that's good. We're, I'm good. So when I die, straight to heaven. It's not, how, it's, like the, it's not how any of this works. Those who believe in the Son are those who follow the Son, who live in the Son, who follow the commandments of the Son, most especially the commandment to love one another. Those who believe in the Son, who are baptized into the Son, who worship the Son, who feed on the Son, are those connected to the Son, connected to the source of life itself, 
who will forever walk in the light of life. As St. Augustine reminds us, here John testifies that no one has life unless he has Christ. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, be all glory together with the Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-creating spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. If you have a few minutes, I'd like to ask you to go to GoFundMe.com slash ZionStoneChurchRepairFund. Our bell tower is in need of some major renovation and repairs, and we could use whatever help you're able to give to us. If you'd like to find out more about us, check us out on our Facebook page, ZionStoneUCC, or on our website, ZionStoneUCC.com. Thanks again for listening. I pray that these sermons will continue to strengthen you in your walk with Jesus Christ. And may the blessings of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you.